Welcome to the Kaleo Life Podcast. You can find more resources for gospel living and information about us by going to our website, kaleo.community. Enjoy today's sermon. And uh, please join me in, in prayer. Let's ask the Lord to be the one teaching us and guiding us. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the, um, for the blessing that it is to be gathered with your people. We thank you for your salvation. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that you rescued us, you reconciled us to yourself. We thank you that we can be in a relationship with you. And Lord, we pray that um, as we consider the message of the gospel today, we pray that you would speak to us by your spirit, that you would transform us, that even now as we hear this message again, that you would bring transformation to our lives, that we would grow into Christ-likeness, that you would, um, by your spirit, bring growth and transformation. I pray that you fill me with, with your spirit to proclaim your word and help us to, to understand, Lord. Give, open our, our minds, open our hearts to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are in uh, the the second part of, it, or the, yeah, we're, we're doing our series on the DNA of our church, the DNA of Kaleo. Last week, we talked about worship, and basically the, the point of worship is that ultimately we, not just as a church here at Kaleo, but ultimately as, as, a humani- as humanity and as a people, we were created to bring glory to God, to worship Him, to glorify Him in everything that we do. And so last week, if you remember, one of the, or two things that we mentioned is that we glorify God, we worship God by being in a relationship with Him and by representing His image in which we were created, right? So if, if you remember, being in a relationship with God means knowing Him, enjoying Him, loving Him, and then when we talk about representing God's image, it means to be holy as God is holy. And this is done as we grow into Christ-likeness, right? When we grow more and more uh, similar to Jesus who perfectly represented or who, who perfectly is the image of God. Um, so that is worship. This week we're focusing on, we're focusing on the gospel Next week, we will talk about community, and then the week after that, we'll talk about uh, uh, mission. So these are, these are the values, these are the, the DNA of our church, kind of what drives us, what, what moves us. And as we think about the gospel, I think that the gospel truly is at the heart of the DNA of who we are. The gospel truly is the thing that drives us, that moves us forward, that empowers us, that makes us who we are. Um, The gospel is the message that saves us. The gospel is the message that sustains us. And the gospel is the message that glorifies us. So as we talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about it in uh, kind of in three different aspects. And just to make things super simple, it's going to be these three aspects. It's going to be the past aspect of the gospel, the present aspect of the gospel. And can you guess what the third one is? 
the future aspect of the gaffer, right? So it's it's super easy. It's it's not complicated at all. We're going to talk about the, the, the past aspect of the gospel, present aspect of the gospel, and future aspect of the gospel. Um, now, one passage that, as I was thinking about this message, one passage that came to mind, one passage that continued to come to mind is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. And I'll read this to you. It says, uh, this is Paul, and he's about to give a summary of the gospel to the Corinthians. And listen to what he says. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And so in this passage, you can almost see these three aspects, right? This is the gospel I preached to you and you received it. That's the past. This is the gospel in which you stand. That's the present. And then this is the gospel through which we are being saved. And, and the, the aspect of it is if we continue in this gospel, we will be, you know, finally saved in the end. And so that is the future aspect of the gospel. Now, when you think of gospel, what comes to mind? Okay, the, the four Gospels, right? What else comes to mind? Good news. Yes, that's exactly what the word means, right? Good news. The Great Commission. What else comes to mind when you think of Gospel? That's right. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yes, I would say all of those things that you mentioned are correct. I think that one of the things that, that we often think when we think of the Gospel is kind of the beginning of our Christian life. Right, We hear the gospel, we believe in the gospel, and we are saved, and that's the beginning of our Christian life. But then, that is, that is absolutely right. That is completely right. It is the beginning of our Christian life. But then sometimes we make the mistake of thinking that once we have believed in the gospel, then we can, we can just move on, right? We can, we can move on to the, to the heavier and meatier type of stuff, but we don't realize that the gospel is actually... The, the core of who we are. The gospel is the power of God for salvation of those who believe. The gospel is what sustains us. The gospel is what glorifies us. So again, we're going to talk about the, the past aspect of the gospel, the present aspect of the gospel, and then the future aspect of it. But before we do that, I think we need to define what the message of the gospel is. So as someone mentioned uh, here, the gospel is the good news. And even though it is redundant to say this, uh, right now we're going to talk about the good news of the gospel. And I mean, it is redundant because gospel literally means good news. But but I, I, I think sometimes we forget what it means, right? And so it's good for us to remember the gospel means good news. So let's talk about the good news of the gospel. And first, I want to give you kind of the big picture of the gospel and then we're going to talk about kind of the heart or the core of the gospel. So here's the big picture. Basically, the believe it or not, the entire Bible contains in it the message of the gospel, the story of the gospel, right? So when you look at, the, at your Bible, when you look at the book of Leviticus, when you look at Exodus, Genesis, uh, the prophets, Revelation, any book of the Bible that you look, we need to realize that these books are a part of collection of books that together tells us the story 
of how God is saving the world. It tells us the story of redemption, right? And so let me just give you a really, really brief summary of this story of redemption. God created the world. God created uh, Adam and Eve. God created humanity and he created the world to exist, to glorify him, right? That's, that's basically what we saw last week. But then we remember that at the fall, when serpent deceived Adam and Eve, uh, uh, sin entered into this perfect world that God had created. But God was not surprised by that. In fact, God already had a plan that he had planned. The word of God tells us he had planned this plan before the foundation of the world to rescue humanity. And so he set that plan into motion. He hinted at this plan to Adam and Eve when he said to the serpent, he said that uh, the seed of the woman would hurt or crush the head of the serpent. That was, a, that was a hint of the gospel. That was a hint that from the woman, from Eve, from Adam and Eve, there would come uh, sometime in the future, there would come one that would finally crush the head of the serpent, that would finally deal with the problem of sin. And then God continued this plan by choosing Abraham, and, and he promised that he would be the father of a great nation. And he also promised to him that through his seed, someone would come, right? The Savior would come. And so this idea of someone coming started becoming more and more clear. Uh, eventually, Abraham did become a, a, a nation, right? He had many descendants, and they became a nation that eventually went to Egypt, and then we see how God, through Moses, delivered the people of Israel from Egypt. He brought them to himself. He gave them a law. He gave them uh, uh, an identity as his people. And he turned them into a nation. But this one, this, this person, this chosen one that was going to crush the head of the serpent was not there yet. Right? It became really clear soon after Israel was delivered from Egypt that it was not that, that, that was not it, that there needed to be something more, right? Because Israel sinned against God, they disobeyed him, they, uh, they complained when they were in the wilderness, when God brought them into the promised land, they didn't fulfill the, the, the commands that God gave them, and, and so on. And so God sent prophets, and the prophets prophesied about a chosen one, a, a Messiah. That's what the word Messiah means. It means a chosen one. The prophets talked about a chosen one that would come, as a king to deliver the people of God from their bondage to, you know, to their enemies, to whatever, to whatever it was that was oppressing them, right? And so the, this expectation of someone, of a king, of a powerful king started arising. But then the other thing that the prophets said is that this same chosen one would also come as a servant and he would actually take upon himself the sins of the people of God and he would suffer on their behalf uh, in order to save them. And so fast forward to the time that Jesus came, right? And Jesus came into the world and uh, he actually went to the cross to deal with the problem of sin. But the problem is that the people that, that, uh, that were there when Jesus came, they, many of them, they didn't realize that that the, the powerful king that they were expecting was also the suffering servant that the prophets had talked about. And so when they saw Jesus dying on the cross, they, they, they were, you know, they were surprised. They were shocked. They didn't know that he was the one that was coming to rescue them. 
But then Jesus, uh, on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and he was, uh, uh, he was vindicated as God's Messiah, as God's chosen one. He ascended into heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to his followers and he gave them the commission to go and preach the gospel to all nations, preach what they had just witnessed to go and preach it to all nations. And so that is just what they did. They went and they proclaimed this message of Jesus coming as the son of God and dying on the cross and rising again. And they preached this message for the salvation of the people. And basically everyone who believes in this message, everyone who believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord is now a part of God's redeemed humanity, is growing into Christ-likeness, and is eagerly waiting for Jesus to return in order to finalize what he began, the redemption of the whole world. Whew. All right, that was, a, that was a, a summary of the message of the gospel from the beginning to the end. Okay, and so... Hopefully what we are seeing here is that the, enti the entire story of the Bible is the message of the gospel, is a story of redemption. But now with that said, we do have uh, what maybe we could call the heart of the gospel or the core of the gospel, which is a very, very specific message. And this message is that Jesus is the son of God. He came into the world to die on the cross in order to save and reconcile sinners to God. He rose on the third day, thus conquering death and bringing life. And anyone who their acknowledges their need for reconciliation with God, repents of their sin and believes that Jesus alone can save them, is forgiven of their sins, given a new life, united to Christ, and promised eternal life, in God's redeemed new creation. So that is, that is kind of the heart of the gospel, right? Jesus is the son of God. He came, he, he lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again. And anyone who believes in him as the savior, as, as his savior, is forgiven of their sin and reconciled with God. Now, this is a message that, you know, it's, pretty straightforward, right? It's not this uh, uh, secret type of message that, that you have to be super clever or super smart to understand, right? This message is very simple. Jesus came, died on the cross in your place. And if you want to be saved, if you want to be forgiven, reconciled to God, you have to trust that Jesus is the one, the only one who can save you. But just because this is a simple message, it doesn't mean that it's not a deep message, right? It has, uh, uh, the gospel has um, so much depth that, that we could drown in, right? Uh, just to, to say a phrase like that. But we, let's talk about the past, present, and future aspects of the gospel. So what, what do we mean when we say the past aspect of the gospel? Well, we mean that the gospel is the message that saved us when we believed in this message, right? So this is maybe the more basic aspect of the gospel. This is maybe the, the, the aspect that all of us think of when we think of the gospel, right? This is the aspect that when we believe in this message, in this powerful message that, that I just shared, 
when we believe in this message, we are immediately saved and brought into God's family. So let me give you uh, a couple of examples from scriptures uh, that talk about this. So one of them, and probably the, the more succinct one, would be Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. It says, in him, that is in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So notice, notice, notice uh, Paul's words there. When you heard the word of truth, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, when you believed in him, that's when you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, right? So there is something supernatural that happens when you hear this gospel message and when you believe it, right? Something radical and supernatural happens. You are transformed. You are brought from, dead to, from death to life. Another passage that talks about this idea of hearing the gospel and believing it is Acts 15, verses 7 through 11. And in this passage, just for context, um, Peter is talking about, or, or I should say, the, the, the Jews are trying to determine, is the gospel only for Jews or is the gospel also for Gentiles? And so Peter is arguing that the gospel is for everyone. Right? The gospel is for anyone who believes in Christ. So Peter, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe, and listen to this part, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So in this passage, Peter is saying, I was preaching the gospel to them. And when they heard the gospel, God's, God gave them the Holy Spirit. And so basically, this is an example of how when a person hears the gospel and truly believes in the gospel, they receive salvation in that moment. And I think that, that it, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, that is what happened to you at some point. And I'm not saying that you have to have a recollection of when that happened, because I know that that can trip some people sometimes, right? If, if I don't remember exactly when it was that God saved me, right? The exact day, the exact hour, then some people might feel, well, was I really saved? But that is not the point, right? To some people, it happens, right? To some people, it's like, I know exactly when God saved me. But to some people, it is more like, I, I know that I believe in the message of the gospel. I know that I believe in Christ as my savior. I know that God has saved me, but I don't know exactly when that happened. And I think that that is perfectly fine. But here's the implication for us. If we truly are convinced that hearing and believing the message of the gospel is essential for salvation, then we are going to make it our priority to make, to, to ensure that the gospel message is proclaimed every Sunday. 
right? That's one of the reasons why we preach the gospel every single Sunday. We preach the gospel every single Sunday because we believe that that is the message that people need to hear to be saved. And so if we have a guest come into our building or even for us who are regular, regular attenders, we need the gospel message to believe and be saved. And so not only do we preach the gospel message uh, here from the pulpit, you know, when I'm, when I'm sharing the sermon, but we also make sure that the gospel is embedded in all of our liturgy in our prayers, in, our, in the songs that we sing. Uh, we remember the gospel every time we take communion, right? We want to make sure that the gospel is being told over and over and over because it is the message through which we are saved. And we also want to make sure, and this goes without saying, but we also want to make sure that whenever we have an evangelistic or outreach event, we want to make sure that the gospel is clearly proclaimed. And I say it goes without saying, but at the same time, it needs to be said because I've been to several evangelistic events where the gospel is not preached. Can you believe it? When I, when I, was, uh, I was in youth group uh, many years ago and I went to, a, to an event, it was supposedly an evangelistic event, and they taught something. I don't even remember what they taught. It was somewhere in the, in the Old Testament and they didn't mention the name of Jesus once. They didn't mention the idea of salvation once. And yet at the end of the event, they invited people to raise their hand to invite Jesus into their hearts. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? You didn't even mention Jesus in your message, right? So it, it, sh it, shouldn't be, it, it shouldn't need to be said, but it needs to be said every time we intend to have an evangelistic event, an outreach event, we want to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel. Every time we, if we want to, pr to preach the gospel to our neighbors, again, this goes without saying, we have to make sure that we are actually proclaiming a verbal message. One phrase that, that you've probably heard me say, because I say it a lot, but uh, I think this, was, this is attributed to Francis of Assisi, and the phrase is, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. And the reason why I mention this phrase is because I believe that it's, it's completely wrong. And it's the equivalent of saying, feed the hungry, if necessary, use food, right? Like it is impossible to preach the gospel without using words because the gospel itself is a, a message, right? It's, it's, it's something that we have to proclaim with our mouths for people to hear, for people to believe. That is not to say that we can't, you know, be examples of the gospel to our neighbors. That is not to say that we can't, uh, uh, you know, behave in a manner worthy of the gospel. In fact, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But we cannot expect our neighbors, our friends, our family to believe the gospel simply by observing our lifestyle. As important as it is, we, uh, you know, our lifestyle, we have to make sure that we are proclaiming the gospel message verbally. Um, so the gospel is the power of God to save us. That is the, that is the past aspect of the gospel. But now let's talk about the present aspect of the gospel. The gospel is also the power of God to strengthen us, to sustain us. And we stand in this gospel here at the present time. The gospel is what saved us in the past, but it is also what is saving us in the present. So 
this is, uh, as I was thinking about this, this is kind of a huge topic, but I thought of two words that would probably help us understand the present aspect of the gospel. And these two words are the benefits of the gospel and the implications of the gospel. So when, when we believe the gospel, when we are saved, there is something miraculous that happens. Well, a lot of things happen when we are saved. We are filled with the Spirit. We are transformed. We are regenerated. But the one thing that I want to refer to right now is we are united to Christ. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus for salvation, we have spiritually died and we have spiritually been raised with Christ. And, and listen again, this is, this is my boggling. He says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. If you have believed in the gospel, you have been united to Christ. Paul says also in Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 6, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so because we are with Christ, because we are united to Christ through the gospel, this means that we have a, a bunch of benefits that come to us because of our union with Christ. But it also means that we have a lot of implications for the gospel. So let's talk about the benefits first. And there are so many benefits that come with our union with Christ, with the gospel. But I think one passage that really, really summarizes this very well, and I'm going to ask you to turn there, is Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, we are given in an amazing list of all the benefits that are ours in Christ. We are given a list of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ. And by the way, notice how many times he says in Christ or in him. This is, this is what I mean when I'm talking about our union with Christ. Um, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Or in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ 
according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which, with, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him, that is in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So th this is, you know, we've, we've actually preached on this passage before, and so I'm not going to go into all of the details here. If you want to learn more about Ephesians 1, I believe it is on our website. Uh, you have to go on our website, look for our sermons, and go to the series on Ephesians. But just, just to mention some of the benefits that are ours in Christ. In Christ, because of our union with Christ, we are adopted, right? God adopted us as his children. It means that because we are in Christ, we are now God's children, and God is our father, right? That's something that nobody could ever say if they were not in Christ, right? That's, that's actually something that people, that I hear people say often, that everyone is a child of God. And obviously, you know, I'm, I, I try not to be a jerk and be like, wrong, not everyone is a child. No, obviously, you know, I try to go with tact or, or, or sometimes I, I, if the conversation is not lending itself for you, I won't say anything, but not everyone is a child of God. Only those who are united to Christ are children of God, and God is their Father, and this is one of the incredible benefits of the gospel, right? Adoption as sons. Another, another one of those benefits is that we have redemption through the blood of Jesus. We have forgiveness for our trespasses, and this is a forgiveness that is not just in the past, not something that happened in the beginning, and then that's it, and now we have to, you know, get new forgiveness for our future sins, but this is a forgiveness for all of our sins, past, present, and future sins. Christ, or God has forgiven, a, forgiven you of your sins if you have trusted in Christ because you are united to Christ. One of the things that is not necessarily mentioned here, but the righteousness of Jesus, the, the, uh, the way that God sees Jesus as righteous, as perfect, is imputed upon us because we are united to Christ and therefore we are declared righteous. We are adopted, we have the Holy Spirit, we have an inheritance waiting for us and, and so on and so forth, right? Again, go back to the, to the series in Ephesians. But these are the benefits that we have in the gospel. And because the gospel is not just the entry point of our salvation, but it's also the, the sustaining of our salvation, we also want to make sure that everything we do as a church is saturated with 
the gospel, right? We want to make sure that during our gospel communities and our DNA groups, we are preaching the gospel to one another. When we are having dinner with people at our house, we are having gospel conversation. When we are at a game night or a potluck, or when someone comes to you for advice or, or asking questions, um, when you are trying to comfort someone, when, when you are about to exhort someone, we have to make sure that we are speaking the gospel into the lives of people. One of the questions that I ask, uh, that I ask preachers or people who are getting ready to preach or to teach as a way of helping them is this, would a Jew or a Muslim or a Pharisee would say amen to your message, to the message that you're about to preach? And if the answer is yes, then you are not preaching a Christian message, right? If you, if you go and, and preach a message about morality and obedience to God, those people would agree with that 100%. You should obey God. You should live righteous lives. And, and of course, we should preach that message. But because we are Christians, because the gospel is the good news of reconciliation with God, and because the gospel is the truth in which we stand, then we need to make sure that we are preaching the gospel in those things. And I'm sure that, you know, not probably not many of you have the opportunity to preach a message and ask yourselves this question of saying, would, would a Jew or a Muslim would agree with with, uh, with the message that I'm about to preach. But one thing that you could do is whenever you are talking to yourself, right? Whether you fell into sin or you are feeling discouraged or depressed or anxious or uh, afraid or whatever the case is, are the things that you are telling yourself, are, these, are they a Christian message? Are you preaching a Christian message to yourself or are you preaching a moralistic message? Are you preaching a pharisaical message? Are you preaching a message that, that a Jew or a Muslim would agree with because you are not proclaiming the gospel to yourself, right? So we want to make sure that we are reminding ourselves of the benefits that we have because of our union with Christ. We have to make sure that we are reminding ourselves of the forgiveness that we have received because of the death of Jesus on the cross. This is what will sustain us as believers. One of the easiest, unfortunately, one of the easiest areas in which we fail to preach a Christian message is when we are parenting. This is one of the, uh, it is so difficult, right? Because for example, for me as, as a pastor, when I'm meeting with people, I'm making sure that I'm, that I'm, that I'm, bringing the gospel to them, right? That I'm counseling with the gospel, that I'm encouraging people with the gospel. But then oftentimes, unfortunately, I come home and I turn into a legalist, right? And all the thing I'm requiring of my children is obedience, which I'm not saying requiring obedience from your children is wrong. Please require obedience from your children. Please teach your children to be well-behaved. But if your ultimate goal is to make sure that you have obedient, well-behaved children, you're doing it wrong. Our ultimate goal is to make sure that we are pointing our children to Christ, to the one that can save them, to the one that can actually transform their hearts so that their behavior is modified, right? If we only focus on behavior on our children, we might have the best behaved children in the world, but they're going to be the best behaved unbelievers in the world. 
We want to make sure that we are preaching the gospel to our children, that we are telling them the implications of the gospel, the blessings that are theirs if they have believed in the gospel. We need to make sure that we are praying for them with the gospel, that we are exemplifying the gospel in their lives, a gospel of, of grace, of forgiveness, of obedience to God, and, um, and all of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. Uh, then what are the implications of the gospel? Well, we talked a little bit about them already, but when I talked about the benefits, it's you know, what we get, the, all of the spiritual blessings that we get in our union with Christ. But the implications of the gospel refer to living a life that is worthy of the gospel, right? There is, uh, as I was studying for this message, I found several passages that talk about obedience to the gospel, right? And, and that's kind of a, that's an interesting phrasing because I feel like most of the times you find belief in the gospel, right? Faith in the gospel, uh, acceptance of the gospel, receiving the gospel, but there are actually several passages that talk about obedience to the gospel. And this means that when we have been saved, when, when we have been transformed, when we have been united to Christ, we will have the desire and the ability to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. We will have the desire and the ability to live in obedience to God. Listen to what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse, seven, uh, verse 27. He is, uh, he is encouraging the Philippians and he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The implications of the gospel for us, for the believer, is that we will live a life worthy of the gospel. If you, if, if you live a life that is completely out of line with, with the word of God, with the commands that God gives, with God's will, then it really makes us question whether you have actually received the gospel or not. It really makes us question whether you have actually been transformed by the gospel. Right? One example that that uh, my dad likes to use, and I know I've used it here as well, but imagine that I came, you know, later today, I came just the way I'm dressed right now. I know that, you know, I, I should probably iron my shirt, but you know, just the way that I'm dressed right now. And I told you, man, guess what? I'm sorry that I was late, but guess what happened? I just got ran over by a semi. Just, just exactly how I am right now. You think I'm crazy, right? You think I'm insane. If, if I got ran over by a semi, I would probably be dead or I would be disfigured. And so the point of this illustration is that we cannot say that we have been transformed by the gospel and look exactly the same way that we did before we believed in the gospel, right? The gospel brings transformation to the life of the believer. Paul actually uses the gospel as a model for Christian life. And I'm going to give you just two examples. One of them in Ephesians 5, when he is exhorting uh, husbands and wives to, you know, to, to love one another, wives to submit to the husbands, husbands to love their wives. He brings up the gospel and says, husbands, love your wives as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul is taking the gospel and applying it directly to marriage and saying, husbands, you have to love your wife the same way that Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Another example of this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is asking the churches to gather money for, it, for an offering that they're going to give to the church in Jerusalem. And he actually uses the gospel again. And he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He is encouraging the Corinthians to generosity by bringing the truth of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel affects all of our lives. It affects all of who we are. So let's abide by the gospel every day and live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. And now let's talk about the hope of the gospel. This is the future aspect of the gospel. The past aspect is that we have been saved, right? When we heard the message of the gospel and we believed it, we were saved, we were transformed. The present aspect of the gospel is that because we are united to Christ, we have all of the benefits that come with that. And we also have all of the implications that come with that. And we live lives that are worthy of the gospel. And now the future aspect of the gospel is the hope that we have with the gospel. So we know that this world is not it, right? We know that this life is not it. It, it, is, it is really good. It is incredibly good to, to be forgiven of our sins and to have the Holy Spirit of God in us and to be united to Christ and to enjoy all of those spiritual blessings that I mentioned. But we know that this is not it. We know that there is more, right? We know that this world is filled with suffering. This life is filled with suffering, with affliction, with persecution, oftentimes for the sake of the gospel, with sickness, with death, right? We know that this world has not been redeemed yet. And remember the story that, that you know, the kind of the big picture of the gospel that I shared at the beginning. It began in a garden where everything was, everything was perfect. And then when sin entered into the world, it distorted everything. It destroyed everything. But the, the end of the story is the restoration of God's creation, right? The restoration of humanity and the restoration of creation. When we look into the future, when we look at the hope that we have in the gospel, it is the hope of a restored humanity and a new earth and a new heaven, right? A new creation. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, Paul talks about this hope. He says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and believe in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this idea of obtaining the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ means that when Christ returns, we will be like he is. Right now, 
we are growing in our Christ-likeness. Right now, we are growing in holiness. We are growing, but if we are honest, we're still very far from that, right? If we are honest, we are not Christ-like enough. We are not holy enough. We are not obedient enough. In fact, it seems like our bodies keep getting worse and worse, right? And that's one of the things that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so basically the future hope of the gospel is that the work that Christ began in us, he will bring it to completion. The future hope of the gospel is that, yes, we were saved and we are being saved, but God will complete our salvation. We will be in his presence for eternity. We will see his glory for eternity. We will have some of that glory for eternity. And that is the hope that we have in the gospel. And that is why here at Kaleo, we want to make sure that the gospel is a core part of who we are, right? It's, it's ultimately the message, the powerful message that saves us. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news, the good news of this gospel of salvation. We thank you that your son, Jesus, went to the cross. He took our place. He took upon himself the wrath that we deserved. He took our sins upon himself and he gave us his righteousness. Thank you, God, for making a way for us to be reconciled to you. Thank you for the union that we have with Christ and for all the benefits that are ours in Christ. Lord, I pray that you help us as a church to live lives worthy of the gospel, to live in our lives the implications of the gospel, to live in obedience to you, God. And thank you for the hope that we have for the restoration of all things, for, the, for our, even our own glorification, the glorification of our bodies, and that we will be with you for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.